0: This is Pastor Devin, and I just want to say thanks for joining us, and I hope and pray that this message is an encouragement to your life today. Okay, you were only supposed to find two people, two people, that's all you were supposed to find, two people. That's great, I love to hear the fellowship of the body, don't you love that? It's awesome. Good morning, it's great to have you again, and uh, just appreciate so much you guys taking the time to be with us. Ashley and I are honored. That you're here. We are um, in the third week of our current series, and this current series is a book study on the book of James. And for those of you that are first time guests or uh, haven't been here, you can catch those uh, previous messages on the first uh, two weeks of this uh, at the Connection Center. But we're picking up uh, our third week here, and you know, it's um, not a surprise uh, if you've surmised by now, uh, James does not leave much wiggle room um, for misinterpretation or for misunderstanding. He is very clear. Very, very clear. And um, I hope that it's been an encouragement to you uh, thus far. I know it's been even challenging to me. Um, How many are thankful for the challenge of Scripture that it brings to your life? I'm thankful for it, right? Thankful for it. um, Because here's the deal. You, You can reject Jesus and you can reject the Bible. What you can't do is accept Jesus and reject the Bible. They are one and the same. So you have to take the word. Jesus was the living word, and uh, that's what we've been doing, looking at the book of James. We're going to finish up the first chapter uh, this week. We're starting in verse 19. My dear brothers and sisters, Pastor James says to us, take note of this, colon, everyone should be Quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Now, let's just pause right there, because we could spend the rest of the month of June talking about those three things right there. How, how many would say that at least one of those things has been challenging for you in your lifetime? Okay. How many would say a couple of those things? So, uh, anybody? Uh, all three? Okay. Quick to to listen, slow to speak. Now, so if, if quick to listen and slow to speak helps you to move slowly towards anger, then the antithesis of that equation would be this. Quick to speak and slow to listen will move you quickly to anger. Okay? I was thinking about that earlier this week, um, and this thought came to my mind. Uh, without Jesus... I don't think I could do any of those things well. Uh, I mean, it's difficult enough to do with Jesus, right? Um, Without Jesus and his Holy Spirit in my life, I can't imagine me having the ability to control my tongue and my anger. I tell you this, it would not be a pretty sight. I'll just tell you that. I I can't imagine what kind of husband I would be, what kind of father I would be, um, what kind of boss I would be, what kind of friend I would be. Um, Jesus has not only saved me, but He has saved a lot of people from pain and grief and heartache by saving me. Can anybody relate to that? Um, I've told you this before. For those of you that are new. I contend to be fairly competitive. Okay, um, okay, really competitive. All right. Now we had, listen. We had people over uh, for Memorial Day last weekend. We're out in the yard playing cornhole. I want to win cornhole. I mean, I don't care what it. I don't care what it. If something is being, if the, if the score is being kept, okay, I want to be on the higher end of <laughs> scorekeeping. Um, Ashley and I grew up playing sports. Uh, we, as kids, grew up in grade school together, playing sports: basketball, volleyball, tennis, track. Um, she, you know, it's funny when you hear her talk about it now. She hated playing with me, and she hated playing against me. Both. Um, She didn't want to be on my team because I expected everyone that they wanted to win just as badly as I did. And she didn't want to be on the other team because I was brutal, just ruthless. So um, we are competitive. Um, You know, I wasn't a highly successful athlete. But if you've watched the highest successful competing athletes, you often watch them wrestle with their temper. Uh, How many times did I see Michael Jordan lay into one of his teammates. Um, Peyton Manning, riding his receivers like crazy, running the wrong route, not reading the defense correctly. How many times have we seen Tiger throw his club on? I mean, it's just in us. Competitive people. Uh, we've even watched organizations make the, the choice. Do we want to win championships, or do we want everyone to get along? We want to win championships, so Shaq and Colby figure it out. I mean, that's, that's the... We, we just watch people consciously make this decision, and I've had to do a tremendous, I'm still doing a tremendous amount of work harnessing uh, that in me. Uh, now, when you're 5'10 and 145 pounds wet, um, I don't know if you know this or not, but you, that doesn't get expressed through physical means. When you're my size, you don't pick fights. Okay, you just don't. So I'll tell you the way that it gets expressed In my world, and it's this, um, it gets expressed verbally through sarcasm, through short remarks, and just simply being biting at times. And I've had to work on that. I think James intentionally lists these three things in that particular order. Because here's what I've learned personally. When I'm sitting across the table from people during the week, when Ashley and I are sitting with couples, there is a guaranteed way to end up angry, and it's this, don't listen and speak before thinking. And it will end you, you'll just end up there. Look at Proverbs. You know, James is known as the Proverbs of the New Testament. So we juxtapose it with the Proverbs of the Old Testament. Look at this Proverbs chapter 10, verse 19. Too much talk leads to sin. The NIV says, when when many words are spoken, when words are many, be sensible and keep your mouth shut. Uh, Look at the way they say it in the message. It says this the more talk, The less truth. The wise measure their words. Proverbs chapter 10, verse 32. The speech of a good person does what? It clears the air, but the words of the wicked pollute it. Proverbs chapter 12, verse 18. The words of the reckless. So this would not be slow to speak, right? The words of the reckless pierce like swords, but the tongue of the wise does what? It brings healing. How many have have been on the receiving end of reckless words. There's a lot of damage that happens in that. But the words of the wise, what do they do? They bring healing. Proverbs chapter 13, verse 3, Those who guard their lips preserve their lives, but those who speak rashly or quickly will come to ruin. Let me just say this. Wisdom is quite often displayed in a person's life when they have the ability to speak or respond slowly. Remember how we defined wisdom a couple weeks ago, and it was simply this, the ability to apply knowledge. So you already know that it's better in in moments to keep your mouth shut. You know in your heart of hearts that not reacting and lashing out would be the best thing to do, but sometimes you lack the wisdom to actually apply the knowledge that you know. Which is why so much of Proverbs, the book of wisdom, deals with being careful with the words that we speak, ironically written by the wisest person that's ever lived. Wisdom is expressed in our ability to be quiet. It's one of the greatest lessons that we have to learn in life, knowing when to be quiet and knowing when to speak. It's not that complicated, actually. It's, um, in order to, to hear someone trying to communicate, you have to stop talking. Um, listening and talking at the same time almost always guarantees that you will miss some detail or some important fact. James uh, lets us know that it takes effort to slow our minds down so that we can hear what other people are trying to communicate to us. That means that we have to deliberately quiet our minds, shut our mouths, and in order to intentionally listen and digest what someone else is endeavoring to tell us, this is very challenging for those of us that have busy minds. Um... The world we live in today, our minds are so busy trying to keep all of it straight with all of the tasks, all the responsibilities, all of the demands on our time, the details, just making it throughout the day, which is why I consciously have to allow myself to make the choice to slow down and focus on what someone is trying to tell me. Otherwise, I miss what they're trying to say to me. I have learned that I have to discipline, it's a discipline. And if I'm going to hear what they're communicating, I have to push everything out of my mind and deliberately focus. Otherwise, I'm just pretending that I'm listening to them. How many of have ever um, talked to someone and you knew that they weren't listening to you? Okay. How'd that make you feel? Good? Yeah? Made you feel important, I'm sure. Well, Here's what's ironic. Most of us actually think that we're good listeners. If I were to ask you, are you a good listener? The majority of you would say, yes, I'm a good listener. For you married folks, maybe the the better person to ask is your spouse. Is your spouse a good listener? Maybe I should ask it that way. They would give me uh, the honest truth. Listening. Listening is the first step of communication. Not talking. Listening is the first step of communication. And communication is the prerequisite for success in dealing with God and with men. I I was uh, out of the store this past week. I was with this lady, and she said... Something to the effect of this. She said, um, well, of course I talk to myself because sometimes I need expert advice. And I was like, okay, I'll, that's good, okay, good. Um, and we laugh about it. That's how some of us think. How many know someone that's the, always the expert? Always the expert. They could not have a clue on it, and they are an expert on it. They have no idea what they're talking They are an expert, and they are quick to try to tell you that they're an expert on it. James says, quick to listen Slow to speak. Now let me ask you a different question. Maybe we can think of this from a different angle. How about in your interaction with God? Are you quick to listen and slow to speak? Is the majority of your communication with God made up of you speaking? Some of us have found ourselves angry at God, but we are not quiet enough long enough for him to speak. And I'm just telling you, it's a surefire way to end up angry if you're quick to speak and slow to listen. James chapter 1, verse 19 and 20 now. My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Comma, so the next thought is contingent upon that thought. Because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Flying off the handle, lashing out, that kind of anger does not produce or bring about the righteousness that God desires. Let me just say this. People that struggle with anger and controlling their temper typically have a deeper-rooted issue. Anger is the external response to an internal conflict. And the the root, the seed that most often produces the fruit of anger is bitterness. The, The person that doesn't remove the root of bitterness... They get stuck, they can't move on, they can't get over it, they can't let it go. It festers inside of them, and it becomes a cancer inside of their entire body. Roots, though that are removed sooner rather than later, are much easier to pull up. But the longer they remain, and the deeper they're allowed to go and take hold, the more difficult they are to remove. The root of bitterness produces the fruit of anger. According to scripture, there are a few indicators of what human anger looks like. We're going to look at a few of them this morning. The first one is this, relational conflict. This is how it gets externalized, relational conflict. Proverbs chapter 29, verse 22, an angry man or woman stirs up dissension and a hot-tempered one commits many sins. If you know someone that is constantly in relational strife, some of us maybe we have family members that constantly bring relational strife to your family. They always seem to find their way into conflict or discord. They are the one common denominator. If things aren't right, somehow, some way they're involved. How many know of this someone that just somehow, some way, they seem to always be around relational conflict? It's always in their life, right? Wherever they go. I've known I know people that I look at them and I think they actually prefer relational conflict in their life. They, they almost get uneasy when everything is good. And they go. How can I, okay, what can I stir up here? How can I stir the pot a little bit? Uh, Proverbs chapter 17, verse 19 says this. Whoever loves a quarrel, loves sin. Now, I don't know where you can go with that. uh, Other than, whoever likes a quarrel, likes sin. People that are constantly surrounded by relational conflict, they're the common denominator. They have a problem with bitterness and anger. Uh, they could be angry at themselves. They could be angry at mom and dad. They could be angry at the hand that life has dealt them. Angry with their past. Whatever it is, the Bible says that an angry person, a bitter person, stirs up dissension. Okay, the second, second indicator of human anger is this. Jealousy and comparison. Psalm chapter 37, verse 7. Be still in the presence of the Lord and wait patiently for him to act. Don't worry about evil people who prosper or fret about their wicked schemes. Stop being angry. Turn from your rage. Do not lose your temper. It only leads to harm. For the wicked will be destroyed, but those who trust in the Lord will possess the land. Some of us, we become so consumed by this. We see unrighteous people prospering. And from our perspective, we're thinking God is actually blessing them. And we get distracted so much so that it angers us. We we find ourselves thinking, that's not fair, God. Look at the life that they're living and look at the life that they get to live. And David says, be still and wait patiently. We complain about the way that people have acquired and attained their standard of living, but we desire the same things that they have. Uh, We speak ill of the Joneses, but we're trying to keep up with them. (laughs) Uh, If the majority of your conversations... Jealousy and comparison now. If the majority of your conversations revolve around other people, their successes, their failures, their shortcomings, you may have a root of bitterness that is producing human anger in your life. If you find fault in others and it allows you to feel better about yourself, you may have a root of bitterness that's leading to anger in your life. Listen, don't judge someone just because they sin differently than you. Okay? Don't do that, yeah? Right? Don't do that. Okay? Galatians chapter 6 verse 4 says this. Pay careful attention to their work. No. Pay careful attention to your own work, for then you will get the satisfaction of a job well done. And you won't need to compare yourself to anyone else. For we are each responsible for our own conduct. Let me say it this way. You worry about you. You stay in your lane. And if you're going to change lanes, please use your blinker. Dear God, please it's your stinking blinker. I don't know. Turning, ah, dear Lord. Yeah, sorry. Stop comparing your life to others. Just don't concern yourself with things that don't concern you. If it's not your business, don't make it your burden. Okay? Jealousy and comparison is an indicator of human anger and bitterness in your life. Okay, here's a third indicator. Self-destructive behavior. Self-destructive behavior. People that intentionally harm themselves or they do things that they know could harm them. They typically have an inaccurate self-assessment. They see themselves incorrectly. They become bitter and angry about the person that they aren't or the person that they think they should be. We see this um, in people that have addictions, eating disorders people that self-harm themselves. We have teenagers cutting themselves. Why? Because they have an inaccurate self-assessment and they don't like themselves. Um, Let me give you another example that you may not necessarily attach to self-destructive behavior, and it's this, isolation. Isolation is a self-destructive behavior. We, We know it's not what is best for us, yet we continue to put up walls and not trust and keep people at bay. We actually expect people to hurt us. And, and use stuff against us. We, we convince ourselves that being alone is better because it's safer. And you can control it. It's a self-destructive behavior. You know it's not what God would have for you. It's not his best for you. Genesis chapter 1. Let me just remind you of something if that is your deal. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, both male and female He created them. Later on it says it was not good for man to be alone. Listen, you were made by God, in God, and for God. Not only did he make you, but he made you in his image and with a specific purpose and plan in mind. You were not here by chance. You are not an accident. You have God stamped on you. God hardwired good things into your DNA. You may sin and fall short sometimes, but your DNA is rooted, firmly established, and founded in God. Believe that. I was walking around uh, this week. I saw a kid wearing this T-shirt. He was wearing this T-shirt this week. It says, I know I'm special because God don't make no junk. I love that. I love that. And he was wearing it proud. He was like, I am not junk, you know. Uh, (laughs) Some of you need to stop hating yourself for everything that you aren't and start loving yourself for everything that you are because what God knows about you is more important than what people think about you. Okay, okay. Here's the, the the final indicator of human anger in your life. It's this reactive behavior. Reactive behavior. The longer that people allow bitterness and anger to remain undealt with, the easier it is to set them off. It's like um, smoldering coals that lay just beneath the surface. You think the fire is going out, and all you have to do is pull back that one layer, and now you're dealing with the hottest part of the fire. It's that. It's that close to the surface. The opposite of reactive is proactive. Now, being proactive is more than just taking initiative. It actually means to be responsible for the lives that you lead. Let's look at, look at that word, responsibility. Right. right, let's look at it. The ability to respond. Response ability. Stephen Covey in his book, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. Great book, by the way. If you haven't read that book, you need to read that book, okay? says this. Proactive people do not blame circumstances or external conditions for their behavior. Instead, their behavior is a product of their own conscious choice and decision. It's based on values rather than a product of their conditions, which is based on feeling and emotion. Reactive people are affected by their social environment. Listen to this. Reactive people build their emotional lives around the behavior of others, empowering the weaknesses of other people to control them. They are driven by their emotions, by circumstances, by conditions, and by their environment. Conversely, proactive people are driven by their values, carefully thought about, selected, and internalized values. Yes, we are all influenced and impacted by external conditions. But it's our response that reveals our values. It's not what happens to us, but our response to what happens to us that quite often hurts us. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. Let me just pause right there. Think about all the words you just spoke this past week. Think about all the words we spoke this past week. Were they ones that were helpful for building others up? Were people benefited from the words that we spoke this week? And it says, Do do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. So how do you grieve the Holy Spirit? Bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, slander, malice. But be kind and compassionate to one another forgiving each other just as Christ God forgave you. Here's what I've come to realize. Bitter, angry people react. i just uh, make a recommendation. Listen to people when they are angry because that is when the real truth comes out. Listen. Listen closely when they get angry. How about this thought for your parents in the room? We have four children ranging from 13 to 3. And um, I can think of few things that have pushed my buttons more than the challenge of being a parent um, now let me just get real honest with you okay how many, how many parents would be honest enough to say that their kids have pushed them to the point where they thought that they were going to literally snap okay I'm going to be I'm gonna, just going to tell you how, okay if you don't have kids how many had a parent that snapped on you okay I will guarantee then that you will snap on yours too then. Okay. Here's what here's what I know. When I have overreacted with my kids, it had less to do with what they had done and it had everything to do with what was going on with me. Internally and externally, parents, don't allow your external circumstances or your internal struggles to dictate how you respond to your kids have the ability to respond well. Colossians chapter 3 says this, Parents, don't come down too hard on your children, or you will crush their spirits. Think about that. Here's the way it says in the NIV. Fathers, very specific to the fathers here. The voice of the father, the presence of the father, so important. Fathers, do not embitter your children, or they will become discouraged. Responding in anger causes our children to become embittered, discouraged, and crushed. Let me just uh, also recommend this for you parents. Ashley and I have this kind of unspoken thing in our home where we're constantly monitoring where each other is at on that snapping point. And there have been moments where I have saved our children's lives (laughs) and they did not even know it. You do not even know how close mommy is going to snap on you, I promise. And when she does, I promise. And listen, she does that for me. She kind of goes, hey, why don't you come over here? Come on, just, let's go on a walk. Let's go to the park. She'll say, hey, we're going to the park. Good, good, good idea. Could you find a hotel while you're out there, too? But I said, she's OP. Yeah. Don't discipline don't discipline your kids out of anger. Uh, and when you do, now notice I didn't say if. Because at some point they will get the best of you. They are smart. Oh, they are smart. Uh, and we have four. They're all working together. You know, they're like, oh, man, they're all working together. Anyways. Listen, when, when you do overreact and when you, when you don't, don't respond, uh, be willing to Apologize. Be willing to apologize. What that will do for your child, I'm telling you, it will set that child free from being embittered, discouraged, and crushed. You will set them free. Now, here's what I did not say. I did not say to not discipline your kids. Uh, Your kids need structure. Your kids need parameters. Your kids need a bedtime. Your kids need their own bed. You're actually, they're, listen, they're actually looking for you to provide these parameters in their life. And every now and then, you need to remind them who's in charge. Uh, you know, what's funny. I, one of my most favorite things to do, I don't get to do it as often as I used to, one of my most favorite things to do is sit in airports and just watch people. I love, anybody love people watching? The mall, I just, I tell you, I just love people watching. It's the most intriguing thing to me. Uh, you can actually see families coming and know when the kids are in charge. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, you could see it coming. You go, oh, baby, they are taking those parents for a ride. <laughs> and some of those parents need to climb up from the back seat and take a hold of the wheel. Yeah, right. So I, I didn't say not to discipline your kids. What I did say is to not discipline them out of anger. Yeah. Just because you have to raise your voice a little bit doesn't mean you're angry. Okay, we have four kids. How many know it gets a little loud in our house? Every now and then I go, hey, whoa. Yeah, I'm not angry. I'm just going, Let's not act like idiots. (laughs) I'm not angry. But I'm just saying let love be the motivation. Love your kids enough though to not allow them to act a certain way. Okay? The indicators of of human anger, relational conflict, jealousy and comparison, self destructive behavior, and reactive behavior. How many know we can just shut it down right there and everyone can just go home and lick their wounds? Well, that was helpful. Thank you very much. <laughs> I want to I try to turn the corner here and help us to move towards what we can pursue. Verse 21 now, okay? <clears throat> Verse 21, therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word that has been planted in you, which can save you. Therefore, so because of this, in response to what we've already read, these things are going to help us to listen quickly and to speak slowly so that we don't become bitter and angry. The word filth there that James uses portrays a man whose body and clothes are so encrusted with filth that he emits a disgusting odor to everyone nearby. Have you ever smelled of... I've traveled in lots of different environments, lots of different countries all over the world. I've been in some places where there are some interesting smells. Have you ever been around someone that you could you could smell them coming? You could smell them coming. I've been in environments like that. Listen, this is the same word that James uses to describe believers with bad attitudes. In other words, when a believer is being pessimistic, downbeat, negative, uncooperative, gloomy, cynical, indifferent, it just flat stinks. Few things worse than a negative, pessimistic believer. In fact... A person with that type of attitude emits such a distasteful aroma that it will literally drive people away from them. That's why, G, that's why James says to get rid of the filth. So James one twenty one could be read like this. In light of what I've told you, it's time for you to deliberately lay down those stinking, foul-smelling, putrid, rank attitudes and then push them so far out of range that you aren't able to reach them and pick them up again. So uh, just a few questions before we look at how he recommends us not living our lives that way. What attitudes have you been harboring that are offensive to God and you know need to change? What what foul-smelling attitude do you need to remove from your life? Is there a person that you need to forgive? Is there a past experience that you need to let go of, to move on from? How do we lay these attitudes down? How do we fight off the temptation to move towards anger? James gives us five things that we're going to look at. As you know, he's always looking to validate our life in Christ with spiritual action. Practical steps towards change. Beyond believing, doing something that brings validity to our decisions and to our beliefs. So the first thing we need to do is this. Receive the Holy Spirit. James chapter 1, verse 21 Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent, and humbly accept the word that's been planted in you, which can save you. At this point, the New Testament has not been written. The outpouring of the Holy Spirit has happened, and if you look at that word there, the word planted in you, he's actually talking about the Holy Spirit. Um, James refers to the Spirit of God being planted in you. One of the roles and responsibilities of the Holy Spirit is to bring conviction How many know we have no power in and of ourselves to convict or convert anyone? It is the power and working of the Holy Spirit. Beyond that, the Holy Spirit accompanies God's Word. Wherever God's Word goes, His Spirit accompanies it. And when we receive the Holy Spirit, then we can claim the other characteristic, which is power. Power. And James says that through that power, we will be able to fight off the evil that is so prevalent in our world today. Let me just say this. Beyond being saved, beyond making a confession in Jesus, you are going to need the power of the Holy Spirit active and living in your life to overcome the evil in this world today. 1 John chapter 4, verse 4, but you belong to God, my dear children. You have already won a victory over these people because the Spirit, capital S, Who lives in you is greater than the spirit, small s, who lives in the world. Receive the Holy Spirit. James says this, the second thing you're going to need to do is to respond to the word. 1 verse 22. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Uh, You know what that means in the Greek? It means do what it says. That's what it means. It, it's possible that there is someone here today and you have felt stagnant, almost indifferent. You've been finding it hard to care. Um, simply maintaining has become acceptable. You, you might even say that you're spiritually bored. Um, there's one primary reason why people get spiritually bored, and it's this. Knowledge without application becomes boring and unfulfilling every time. If all you do is listen and listen and listen to the word without ever taking steps to apply it to your life, you will soon reach a point where you've heard, heard, and heard so much that you're sick of hearing it. Because the word isn't the problem God's word was meant to be acted upon. So if you just sit and listen to more and more sermons, gathering more information and never acting on what you've heard, you'll eventually become oversaturated oversaturated with it and you won't want to do it. Let me say it as directly as I possibly can. You are bored because you're not doing the word that you've already heard preached. Let me tell you the truth. If you will simply do what you've already heard, what you've already heard preached, you will not have time to be bored. Applying, listen, applying the word that you already know will necessitate a life that requires a serious prayer life. It requires great discipline. It will demand you to crucify your flesh. In fact, walking in the kind of obedience that God expects in our life will take every ounce of your focus. You will be so busy trying to obey what you've already heard preached that you'll never have a moment to be bored. You're just boring. Okay. And maybe you could be thinking this. um, But I don't know how to do what's been preached. Well, don't worry because the Lord is not short on creativity. If you will listen. There's that word again. If you will listen, the Holy Spirit will begin to prompt you. He will begin to say things like, here's an opportunity to apply what you've been hearing. Now do it. If you have a heart. To truly act on the word of God, the Holy Spirit will show you ways to do it. People that need encouragement, the opportunity to share your faith with that friend, with that family member, with that co-worker, that neighbor that needs help. The Spirit of God will prompt you. Spiritual maturity is not measured by the number of meetings that we attend, how many speakers you've heard speak, how many books you've read, or how many podcasts you've listened to. You have to take the word you've heard and find a way to make it work in your life. Couple questions for you on that. Would God, would God consider you to be a hearer or a doer? Um, if Jesus were to ask you the reason for your boredom, what would you tell him? Have you been giving the Holy Spirit opportunities to show you how to apply the Word in your life? James tells us you need to receive the Holy Spirit. You need to respond to his word. Third, you need to remember who you are. James chapter 1, verse 23. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and, after looking at himself, goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law, that's the word, that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard but doing it, They will be blessed in what they do. James likens the word of God to the truth that a mirror reflects. How many know your mirror does not lie? How many uh, would like for your mirror to be a little bit more dishonest? I would like that. That would be good. Um, All of you 20-somethings are like, no, I look, I'm so tight. Everything is so fit. It's nice. Uh, Time is not your friend. Yeah it's not good for you it reveals everything everything good everything bad every dimple every line every muscle every not so muscle every <laughs> every blemish here's the deal james says the word of god does the same thing we see ourselves as we are in the word of god both good and bad again because the holy spirit accompanies the word we can read the word and be convicted of areas in our life that need to be corrected or adjusted. But we can also read the word and be reminded of who we are in Christ. And according to James, we can look intently, carefully into the perfect law, the word, and we can be set free. Here's the problem. When we walk away from it and we get out into the world, we forget. We forget. We allow circumstances or other voices or other people or our past to define who we are. We allow those voices to become the dominant voices in our lives telling us who we are, and you have to remember who you are and whose you are. Romans chapter 8, verse 37, But despite all of this, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ, who loved us, enough to die for us. For I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from his love. Death can't, life can't, the angels won't, and all of the powers of hell itself cannot keep God's love away. Our fears for today, our worries for tomorrow... Where we are, high above the sky or in the deepest ocean, nothing will be able to separate us from the love of God demonstrated by our Lord Jesus Christ when he died for us. Can you say amen to that? Amen. You are more than a conqueror. You are an overcomer. You need to remember who you are. First Corinthians chapter 15. But thanks be to God. He gives us the victory where? Through Jesus Christ. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, stand firm and let nothing move you. Nothing. Nothing. You need to remember who you are. Fourth thing you need to do, you need to rein in your tongue. James, chapter 1, verse 26, we're making our way. Those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues, they deceive themselves and their religion is worthless. In case you've missed it, or if you haven't already gotten the message, James circles back on this one more time. And it reminds us to harness the words that we speak. Except this time, he actually goes a little further, and he says, if you do that, you are deceived and you are a hypocrite, because what you say and do are two different things. Keeping a tight rein on your tongue is vital. James, if you don't do that, James says everything else you do is worthless. Interestingly, he says that what you don't say is actually more important than what you do say. In other words, the potential for your words to hurt is greater than the potential for your words to help sometimes, and James says the better way is to show it by your actions, not your words. Might be uh, good just to say here that controlling your tongue not only speaks to lashing out and overreacting, but also speaks to just the ability to speak truth. I'm amazed at the people that have no conscience and they just speak lies. It just no moral compass. If you don't keep a tight rein on your tongue, you can actually start to believe the lies that you say, which is how you become self-deceived. Galatians chapter 6, verse 4. If anyone thinks that they are something when they are not, they deceive themselves. We can be self-deceived with the words that we speak, with the thoughts that we have. And James says, if you want your relationship with God to count for something, if you want it to be something that's attractive to the world, rein in your tongue. Receive, respond, remember, reign in, and finally, recognize those in need. Um, verse 27. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this. To look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. One of the greatest ways to get out of a spiritual funk is to start serving other people. Get outside of yourself yourself. And I promise you, if you start asking the Holy Spirit to bring opportunities to you and you start looking for those opportunities, you'll have no shortage of those opportunities. To the degree that you can make this your declaration, Isaiah chapter 61 will close with this scripture: "The spirit of the Lord is on me. Why? Because the Lord has anointed me. You're called. You're called. You're called, you're called. You're, you've been anointed by the Lord to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners. You need to receive the Holy Spirit. You need to respond to the word. Some of you need to be remembering who you are in Christ. Some of you maybe need to work a little bit on reigning in your tongue. And some of us need to start looking outside of ourselves and recognizing the people around us that are hurting, that are broken and need the same grace that you and I have received. Amen. Let's pray. Thanks again for joining us. If you want to join us on Sunday, we meet at 10.30 a.m. right next to Wilson Central High School or check us out online at connectchurchtn.com Thanks so much and have a blessed day.